0: Good evening and welcome to the Recollective Podcast. My name's Charlie Beale, and in the virtual studio tonight, with the ill behaviour, once again, Mr. Thomas Goodfellow.
1: Hello!
0: Mr. Charles Layton. Good Abend. And Monsignor Jim Bell. Hello. Very appropriate greeting there, Jim. Tonight we are talking about Berlin. This will not be the only Berlin episode, for there is far too much in this beautiful city and its uh, musical landscape than we can ever cover in a single episode, but we're going to try and start to scratch the surface tonight.
2: Mm.
3: Yes, and I'm I'm broadcasting live from the heart of Berlin itself. Yes, so
0: I think that gives you... More credence, and your opinions are worth more in this episode, Sticks. As you say, oh. you're broadcasting from the heart of Mitter.
3: Yes, from the heart of Mitter, which uh, as of, well, probably when this goes out, we'll be in another little lockdown. Um, but yeah, I've been here again for about four years. So
0: we all have a connection in some way or another to Berlin. Why don't we just quickly go round the horn and talk about why Berlin is a special place for us. Sticks, we'll, we'll end with you. Good as, why, why Berlin?
1: I'm probably the worst person to start with, is I have the least connection to Berlin. No, I, I just like Berlin, as many people do, and I've been there a fair bit to visit um, people like Sticks and Jim when he lived there, and I've also been there on a stag do and i've been there and met my german friend fabian who actually lives in hamburg but uh yeah i i i i've always enjoyed berlin and it's inspired as we will be discussing later a number of songs a significant number of songs of, of our own so yeah it's just um it's always been a place that's popped up in our band's history i guess
0: jim how about you
4: yeah, I lived there for a year in 2010. Yeah, gosh, nearly 10 years ago. Um, yeah, uh, yeah, and uh, welcomed uh, Tom there for a visit. And uh, I remember your nostrils froze shut because it was about minus 20 when you were waiting on the train platform. Oh my uh, God, yes. So, yes, I mean, it's a town of extremes. Uh, I'm a German teacher as well, so uh, I'm sort of Germanophile all around, but um, yeah. Berlin is one of the, the two places in Germany that I've lived.
0: When I met you, you were studying German as one of your modern languages, mm. and so uh, even prior to living there, you have, you were, as you say, Germanophile. Um, what made you go and spend time in Berlin in 2010? uh i got a payoff from work
4: or they, they were looking for voluntary redundancies um my mum had just died alice was very keen my my partner to uh to, yeah try living abroad uh and she saw a window of opportunity and everything in my world seemed to have reached um, a stop and a point of renewal so i thought why not got a few grand in my pocket and we went over there um if I did it again, I would go there with a job first and foremost. <laughs> but because it's quite it's quite difficult to find employment in Berlin unless you know people. But um, mm. it was an exciting town then and still is now.
0: Stakes, so Tell us about your Berlin relationship.
3: I think I first came out here in 2006. Um, height of summer. So it was like 40 odd degrees and just mooched around for, for three days and absolutely fell in love with it. And then um, ended up moving here a year after Jim, so I was moved out the tail end of when you were just moving back, weren't you, Jim? I think.
4: Yeah, we over- we overlapped for like a week.
3: I did I remember I drinking outside that church uh, down yeah. by your place? Um, mm. but yeah, then I was here. The thing is, I've been here since 2011. This is this has been home, but then I've been on tour so much that. Yeah. I, I would never caught. This is the longest I've been here. Is this last year? I've not actually left. That's the that's the first time I spent more than a period of about two months here. Um, but uh, so yeah. more of a
4: pied, pied de terre, or should we say, force often borden? Good now. <laughs>
3: um, yeah, no, I do, I do very much enjoy it. Uh, I love, I love the history of the place, as I'm sure we all do, and kind of still to this day when people can travel again love welcoming guests and showing them the sights
2: oh i would love to go back
4: yeah i think there's so many things that i would have done if i'd been a tourist rather than living there that i never got around to i remember that flak tower we we went to visit that was insane
3: i went inside it the other year it's it's amazing yeah 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 Yes. So you,
0: sticks is going to be welcoming people from Oman, Bolivia, <laughs> um, and and a multitude of other countries. I won't go into it this particular episode, but you who are regular listeners oh. to the show will um, will appreciate the burgeoning geographical scope of this podcast and um, and what uh, a burden sticks has now put on himself. From my own perspective, um, <clears throat> Berlin, I've got kind of like three reasons why I, I feel connected to the place one is when i was visiting my mother who uh, left south africa um, for political reasons in the late 80s um she she i, I visited, her, visited her in england around january 1990 and she booked a, a flight over to berlin and if you recall the wall fell in november of 1989 and so we were there about two months after that and um at the time the wall was still erect because i think the official demolition took place in june of 1990 so it was actually all just it was still up and you would go to the wall and people were chipping away with it with um little pickaxes and and yeah. uh, trying to get bits of souvenirs and it was completely sanctioned And it was like a tourist destination like you would you would find next to the london eye people selling frites and you know <laughs> balloons and um yeah. uh it was it was just like the the kind of systematic deconstruction of this ideology and but you, you weren't able to then just like walk through to the other side um you had to kind of like right. book book a day pass and get and stand in a queue to go and visit East Berlin. Um, and at that time, obviously, there, there'd been no in, in integration at all. So it was like stepping back in time to a different era. Um, it Was very much. It was very evocative of like you know what the GDR must have been like. And um... did you get? Did you go over then? yes so we we we, on i think we were there for about three or four four days and one of the days we went to east berlin on a on a a sanctioned trip um and it and it it just felt like ye oldie worldie Um, (laughs) yeah it was but i i I was probably a bit too young to understand the full political consequence of what was happening at the time but i think my mum thought this is an important moment of history and you know you can book a, a cheap flight from london and was a good so, yeah. time to go um but i think you know despite these different recollections and different relationships with the city there's also a musical connection here it's a very famous musical locus and has drawn in artists like a like moth to a flame um and we're going to explore some of that in this evening's episode
1: we are um, <laughs> and it's exciting, because I don't think any of us know what all of the songs are happening in or, or, or what. And in a way, that's not the point. But um, it's also great to have someone who's lived there who is steeped in the local music scene, I guess, Sticks. Although he claims he's not there much.
4: I'm steeped in the music scene of 10 years ago, if that helps.
1: Oh, that's also good. Yeah. <laughs> Your wine's changed colour since I last saw you on the screen.
4: <clears throat> yes, I know. I, I, I double parked.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's um there, there is obviously a vibrant scene and and Berlin I think when we will we'll get onto this when we talk about our our inspiration for laughter in the dark but um there was i guess what you might call as classic rock royalty in Berlin, which probably um forms the first half of this episode, so we're not talking in the first half about you know the Berlin underground scene of any particular era or German artists, but but international artists who found a home and a way of producing great art in Berlin. Um, and I think it's churlish to start with any anyone but a certain Mr. Bowie. Uh, he did three albums that are credited as Berlin albums. Um, we've talked about this in the past. Jim, do you want to give us a rundown of the three and which is your fave?
4: The three albums?
0: yeah i mean if you if if i'm putting you on the spot i can tell you which they are but i think you know
4: uh the only thing i'm not sure is does lodger count yes i think it was recorded when he got back as was it the third okay well lodger is my favorite because i think it's my favorite bowie album but low very close behind it
0: yeah i mean the seminal heroes i don't know uh, very well yeah exactly i think heroes the track and heroes the album we've talked about in the past tom you're you're not as big a fan of heroes the album
1: yeah, I mean, I, I, if we do a second Berlin episode, which I, I, I suspect we might, I think we should play something from Heroes, the album. Obviously, there's good stuff in it, and Heroes is, you know, a classic song. But, um, mm. it, 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 yeah, I don't know.
4: Low, low. I think it's got a lot to do with um, when you come across them in life as well, because I only really tried to listen to Heroes quite recently, and I just found it too sort of dense and unrelenting i like i like it when david bowie's got that sparse sound or when things are really well organized like the song we're going to be listening to very shortly super arranged and sparse and everything's there for a reason Mm -hmm. whereas heroes i just thought was a little bit too dense and kind of claustrophobic
0: that's a good word you look a bit like david bowie on the cover of low um is it an album you know and love
3: it's an album i know um but I don't know. I'm not. Yeah, not not off the top of my head to kind of yeah kind of really comment on it as much as the three of you have this like absolute adoration of of Bowie and, and this kind of knowledge. <laughs> and I listen to the podcast and I and I love it, but I, I don't feel that uh, I'm able to comment.
0: Fair enough. Uh, We've chosen for this evening's first track, Breaking Glass, off Low. there we go this fade out is Bowie's not mine 1 minutes 52 no no mucking
4: around get in get out uh, there's a longer version that's for the stage uh live album uh which i've just been listening to which is very good as well uh where it sort of plays out in all its glory but um yeah what a remarkable song so unorthodox i mean the rhythm section ends up funky as you want to be but uh, starts out just very uh staccato stabby uh kick drums lots more of that on lodger as well uh so it must have been the same rhythm section they do very similar sorts of things there and i just like the lyric just so unpretentious and um some some really nice touches in it i like uh, I, it never struck me before but um when he says, uh, don't look at the carpet, I drew something awful on it. He takes his time, just like he did with Sound of Vision, and then he just delivers, see? And then the, the keyboard comes in like, wee, wee, it's like Kubrick and The Shining or something. You can just imagine scanning the vista of this hotel room and finding whatever whatever horrendous thing he's drawn on the carpet.
0: We drew something horrendous on a carpet once in Cruden House, didn't we, Jim? What What was it? I think we'd, we, we we had a carpet and we spray painted a kind of outline of a woman in a bikini on it.
2: Oh,
1: yeah. That's not that awful.
0: Why did we do that? <laughs> do you remember who the, um, who the model for the outline was? I remember I drew it quite badly, but I can't remember who the model was. I believe it was a lady called Tina from um, S Club 7.
4: Right. There you go, then. Yeah, I think I made her a bit more, um, a bit round around the thighs than I meant to, uh, but that really, maybe our our flat was kind of an embodiment of the lyrics of that song because didn't we also have um a toilet that we brought inside off the street? Uh, yes, and filled with creeping creeping wisteria, and then everybody threw their fag packets in it till it was full.
1: And, and of course, a piece yeah, of modern art. You had model Sarah as well. Remember model Sarah? Just like a disembodied. <laughs> mannequin's head that would sit uh, on the toilet toys there on yeah
2: or and it, this
0: wasn't in a kind of white museum space this was in a heavily decorated um, nigerian family's ex home um so it came along with their their personal decor um so it's, it's altogether <laughs> an interesting experience um tom where are we going next i don't know where we're going next oh have you Where's... sent us the
1: order Oh, so I do know where we're going next. Um, I, that's, I was I was really excited about not knowing the order and it all being like, just being told. Uh, are we going to, yes, okay. Are we going to where well, I think we're going to? Yes, okay. So now we're going to stay in Berlin, obviously, um, but we're jumping forward uh, sometime <laughs> until after the fall of the Berlin Wall, just after. So Berlin Wall falls, and I guess at some point in 1990, you too must have gone in to, to record this album and came out in 91 and they recorded it with flood who will appear again in this podcast and so what so obviously this is you know you were there charlie with with your mum around this time um i think they recorded it in west berlin but with all of the craziness of the wall falling and everything and i, I don't really know that much about the recording process but what's really i mean this album personally for me anyway even before I knew it was recorded in Berlin, or would have cared about that, in 1992 or something, this is one of the albums that was probably most often on my Walkman, (laughs) which is what it would have been. Uh, I was absolutely massively into this album, even though I hadn't really cared much about U2 before. Um, And this is an album where they deliberately set out to reinvent themselves because they'd got a bit stale and they'd become these ridiculously huge global rock stars. And there's all kinds of weird touches to the production. Um, But yeah, I love it. And listening back to it the other day, in preparation for this, I listened to Achtung Baby, which is the album I'm talking about, of course. Um, I just realized how much it it influenced me musically and how what the edge does. Everything was like loose and it was just like whacking on the delay and the atmospheric sound, but letting letting those sounds do a lot of the work. I don't know. I mean, let's listen to the song and then we can talk about it.
0: This is Zoo Station.
1: So it'd be useful to someone who knows Berlin better than I do to talk about the significance of the Zoo Station. Zoo, the Zoo Station was right on the boundary of East and West, was it? Or was that the main station? No. There's where? I think
4: it just sounds cool.
1: Berlin Zoo. I, I, I've been there. For so long since I've been there. That would
4: be that would be in the West. Uh, it might have been one that was on the border where you weren't allowed to get out or something. Um... Or you know that was on the stretch that was under under the west, so the easterners couldn't get out of those stations. But Friedrichstrasse was the one that I always thought was. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, the yeah. Trainenpalast, where people got separated from the loved and stuff. Well.
3: Yeah, no, Zoo Zoo was at the end of Kurfürsten Dam, basically, which was the you know the, the fancy shopping district in the west, wasn't it? Yeah. But looking looking this. Uh, at this actually about the the track itself supposedly lyrics inspired about the the bombing during the second world war of the zoo where the animals uh, were escaped and wandered around the city's rubble.
0: Yeah. And some of them got eaten by people. Mm, I remember having, um, I I got to spend three weeks in 2004, 2005 in Berlin and it was at the time when we were cu- trying to come up with the name for our band, which would eventually become Seeing Scarlet. And um, I, I mean, I'll go into the reason why I was in Berlin at that time later in the episode. But I remember going to the Dunkin' Donuts in Potsdamer Platz, logging onto the oh, internet yeah. there and, um, and having many hour-long debates about different band names. And one of the ones we came up with at the time was Zoo Boutique. Oh, Which I think we, no. yeah, I think we considered quite seriously because of this uh, this idea of a zoo as a false construct, and the zoo was a, you know a central kind of location in Berlin, and you know the boutique being a kind of like slightly um, angular kind of word associated with it. And then very shortly after arriving back in the UK, we all met up in Leeds to go and play the Tea Time Shuffle, at which point we ran the idea of Zoo Boutique past your friend, Mark Sturdy, Jim, and he said, you're not yeah. gonna be called Zoo Boutique.
1: He just, he was absolutely, <laughs> he was outraged. We'd, we'd, consider, <laughs> we'd considered and yeah, maybe already rejected some others like zoo fiction. We were toying around with all this stuff about zoo, do you remember? Yeah. Mm. And then we had the Boutique going on, and Mark Sturdy, I can just remember his face now, he was like, you cannot call yourself Zoo <laughs> Boutique. <laughs>
4: it has got a point. Zoo Fiction sounds quite good.
1: Yeah, I don't know why we went off that one, but and obviously you 2 ran with that and then they did Zoo Ropa. And I mean, that track's mm. probably not, that's not necessarily a typical song of Achtung Baby. It's not obviously one of the singles and it's not one that encapsulates, I mean, it does encapsulate the sound in some ways, but there's something mm. about the album that it's really weird because in some of the tracks, you can hardly hear the drums and bass and it's all about Bono and the edge. And what I like about it as a guitarist that I realized was quite influential to me is he just, Edge just like plays sometimes some quite scrappy stuff. It's quite atmospheric, slathered in delay, which he was already doing, but he was, it was all very like regimented before. And here they just let loose and just did something totally different. It was actually um, Brian Eno, I think, and Daniel Lannoy. I get very muddled up with the production because Flood was there and this this stuff is all going on. But I think it was a really key moment for you too, because otherwise they could have just become, you know, a band that were really big for five years and then got stale. No. But Berlin obviously did something for them in a way, as it did for Bowie and, and some of the other people we'll be talking about here. So just kind of,
3: I don't know. Apparently that 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 track, kind of hearing it, was just uh, like the production of it for me was kind of giving me lots of images of of mid nineties PJ Harvey. And of course, uh, who, who who Flood worked with a lot and then just looking into this track in itself. And apparently this is it came together when Flood, because he was the engineer on it, on this record, was messing around with the drums and adding distortion oh. to them. And that's how the kind of the sound for it all came together. So this was kind of led a little bit more by, you know, by him, perhaps.
1: Yeah, interesting. So it's sort
3: of a jam. And,
1: and it does sound I, I imagine them in my mind, the Zoo Station thing was that they recorded in a studio near or under Zoo Station. And that could be completely wrong. But in my mind, they're underground, you know, like possibly like under a railway station somewhere deep Mm -hmm. there in Berlin and the walls falling down and, and, you know, you you have all that atmosphere.
0: There's something about the Berlin um, experience that allows or or certainly gives permission to artists to to experiment with a more industrial sound. Like one of the bands we're not playing tonight, but we may in future episodes, Ein Stürzender Neubarten. Am I saying it properly?
4: Um, pretty good neu, Neubauten. Yeah.
0: yeah i said it nothing like that but um thanks for your <laughs> thanks for your lukewarm praise of my accent um but that's that kind of like they were the people who made the songs out of drills and bashing pots and pans and stuff weren't they and there's something about that in that zoo station song and quite a few of the others that we're going to play um why don't we move on to another track by a seminal western artist who found a voice in berlin
3: so yes iggy spent all of that time in in berlin with with bowie uh i've interested anyone has anyone gone on a pilgrimage to where to the house you know to where bowie lived in berlin because i've never done it in all this in i, all this I time. lived
4: i lived opposite hanserton uh, and I have no idea where it was. <laughs> I was on the same street for a, a couple of months at the beginning of the time in Berlin and I looked for it and I could never find any real, I, I guess it's behind a block of flats, uh, yeah. Very well, that's a focus for our
1: next, our return to Berlin. We should all do
3: a pilgrimage. We'll do, yeah, that's it. So when everyone from Oman and wherever else and all of you guys come over here when we can travel again, we'll, uh, we'll, have, a, we'll have a bit of a pilgrimage. But um, I mean, lots has kind of come out of, of of their relationship as well and and uh that period of their life but obviously for for iggy pop it was it was that collaboration on that and that record that really kind of brought him back to the fore um and was written and recorded here in berlin um, and we're gonna play a track called night clubbing
2: See people, brand new people, there's something to see.
0: Of off the idiot which is arguably a track we should have played after david bowie because david bowie was credited as the producer and certainly wrote certain elements of the album didn't he
3: he wrote yeah. most of it did he not obviously iggy pop providing a lot of the, the lyrical content um what i love about this is is uh, apparently so when it was written with that drum machine and bowie wanted to put real drums on it and this is Iggy Pop saying it kicks ass it's better than a drummer <laughs> Iggy Pop and if you know is a, is a drummer was first and foremost a drummer really? Um, yeah yeah yeah
2: yeah uh... when we're right white
3: So he was basically grew up, obviously grew up in Detroit. Was a drummer, formed the Stooges, seminal band. Um, but I didn't realise there was like quite such a delay in in the work from the Stooges to this album coming out in '77. That's like a you know, his last Stooges record was what 1969 or something. Wow. So that was a lot of years. But he'd of done a lot of solo stuff, hadn't he? This was his this was his supposed solo first solo album idiot
0: so you're saying that there was a debate between Bowie saying the the natural drum sound versus a record uh...
3: basically uh, yeah Bowie wanted real drums on the track and Iggy Pop was adamant that that version was the version
4: oh interesting since it's so sort of
3: processional I
1: think this that drum machine sound
3: suits it better totally completely does
1: particularly also the night clubbing you know this way it's this kind of like you know boxy little drum machine you can imagine a boxy little nightclub and what i really love about that the sonic i don't really know this song well at all and i don't really know iggy pop well but um just hearing it now is the sonic connections that thread together all of these people that we're talking about so it reminds me of the piano the piano and guitar sound combines remind me of something off i don't know if it's the beginning of DJ or something off Lodger, but it's got that sound. And then Mm. I was realizing it also reminded me of um, the beginning of Remake Remodel by Roxy Music, which of course is Brian Eno. So you've got Mm. Eno, you've got Flood, Bowie, Iggy Pop. And then there's also the way those pianos sound is a bit Kurt Vile. So it speaks to that kind of Berlin legacy. I don't know if we're doing Kurt Vile today, but there's another track later that also sounds a bit Kurt Vile. So it's like, just from the sound of the piano, and something else about the production, it evokes all of these things about mm. Berlin's musical history.
0: And then fast forward, you know, what was it? Maybe 30, 40 years, and other stuff that we love, like Beck's Mutations, borrows a whole heap of stuff from this. Yeah, true, yeah. Um. So you were... yeah. I actually want to get some of your guys' thoughts on Kurt Vile because it's a name that gets thrown around a lot and I don't have much knowledge about it. Um, It's the band or him the person. Um, I don't have much knowledge of the band. I don't have much knowledge of
4: him, really. The only thing I know was that he wrote lyrics with with Brecht, but he wasn't even Brecht's prime collaborator. So I don't know. I guess they just
0: wrote... Did he do the Threepenny Opera? Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah. So, Matt the Knife is somewhere but, on the uh, list, not
4: Yeah, but was that them? Because he also co- collaborated lifelong with a guy called Hans Eisler, uh, or maybe, yeah, who knows? He definitely he wrote the Threepenny opera, opera with Kurt Weill.
1: He's definitely strongly associated with with Brecht, uh, the Threepenny Opera, and and I don't know if it's just that, but also really interesting. I saw a play once um, about his life. Anyway, I've everything about
0: it. But <laughs> um. <laughs> keep tuned, listeners. Um, no, uh, so the interesting thing is, you're right, Tom. There is a sonic tradition that's going through a lot of these and l- linking them together. But there's also the point that Jim alluded to, and there's a sense of place, and that's most noticeable in uh, is the Hanserton Studio. So the first three songs that we played all were recorded in this one studio. Um, and the next song that I've chosen it was also recorded in that studio. So, uh, along with Low, The Idiots, Heroes, Lust for Life, um Act an Baby. Action Act baby. Act baby, yeah, but an album called Baal by David Bowie, which <laughs> I must admit has passed me by. Um, yeah, all. Bossa Bo- Nova by Pixies um, Snow Patrol seminal 100 million suns
3: so Baal is um, is, is uh, Brecht it's Brecht again ah. so it was just a just an EP okay um, ah, so he's covered he's doing covers yeah
0: alongside that One of my fave bands, Depeche Mode, recorded uh, Construction Time Again, Some Great Reward," and Black Celebration, all at the same studio. Um, And, you know, I I get why uh, David Bowie's Berlin Trilogy gets the the praise and and adulation it does, but that's a pretty good threesome of albums, um, if ever there was. And I'm going to choose just... A random one because I could have picked maybe ten off off those three albums. This is a question of time by Depeche but I think it's got a lovely driving nature to it.
1: Dave Gahan, did you know that he joined after doing a, 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 an audition in which he sang a rendition of Heroes by David Bowie?
4: Ah, there you
0: go. I didn't know that.
1: Nor did I, till I saw it well, on a uh, certain
0: encyclopedia online.
4: <laughs> if there ever was a band who, who, uh,
0: <laughs> who needed Other to... encyclopedias are available.
4: <laughs> um, I can't think of any other ones. Um, Yeah, uh, there was never a band that needed a trip to Berlin as much as uh, Depeche Mode did back in the day to completely transform them and they must have been ripe for taking in that city because that sort of defines them forever since, doesn't it really, that Berlin
1: sound? Yeah. Yeah, I'm quite interested in the, like, because I don't know a lot about electro music in that period. Uh, I, I listened to quite a lot of Sheffield bands actually, you know, a few years after moving up here, to kind of because obviously a lot a lot of that happened here in the uk but what like what the difference is between the post-industrial british electronica for example and what was happening in Berlin which obviously has a i don't know some of those things were parallel but the sounds were different it would be quite interesting to explore that maybe in a podcast someday
0: yeah so there's a German electro sound that I mean that I don't know deeply but Everyone kind of knows Kraftwerk, and they're, they're not associated with Berlin. Where were they from? Uh, Düsseldorf. Were they? Wow. Um, yeah.
4: I can't think of any original sort of electro pioneers fr- from Berlin, per se. The big bands are Can and, uh, yeah, Kraftwerk, Neu, although were are not even German.
1: Well, that's a bit of a relief, because otherwise I would feel like yeah, we, those, we really should be playing those bands in this episode.
4: Yeah, they're not from Berlin, though. They're not from Berlin. They just feel like they're from Berlin.
1: So it's almost like Berlin's musical pedigree actually is, to a large extent, about the international bands coming there. Like it's it's not, because obviously it was unique within Germany.
4: There are some... Uh... I mean, there's obviously there's before all of this there's the um, the Weimar uh, Republic and all the kind of cabaret
1: stuff and um, yeah 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 uh, which again the uh, sound
4: yeah and Lily Marlene uh, Marlene Dietrich uh, so that's the sort of first time that Berlin becomes a cultural capital and um, and then and then in the the era are talking about there's people like Udo Lindenberg but I don't really know him I think he's more of a like a raspy sort of Bob Dylan-y sort of pub singer-songwriter guy I don't know much about him Sticks is shaking so his Sticks
3: either. no I don't know again it's just one he's one of those those names that you see and he's still so big and there's there's plays and theatre productions mm-hmm. that now are about him and his songs and his legacy and uh, if you've watched Deutschland eighty four and Deutschland eighty six, perhaps it's a channel. It's, it's a German production, but they have them on on Channel Four. Um, and again, he like features in there. But yeah, I think Jim he is kind of more of that really? background. Yeah, just because he is such a kind of big star. And but no, I don't think he's he's not. He's in the pop kind of folk type. Sure. So, yeah, uh, question of. T-
4: sorry just he doesn't sound like any of these things no which is
0: odd and he's the, he's that the uh you know the actual berliner so the question of time was off black celebration the 1986 album by depeche mode um and that was the third album i think they recorded at um Hanserton studios um let's move on the next artist Sounds decidedly German, saying that we, um, we're we talking about international artists. It's your choice, Jim. Um, it's quite a long track, so I suspect we'll need to kind of uh, talk over it at some point. Yeah, I'll do the hand. <laughs> Tell us a bit about it first.
4: So uh, I arrived in Berlin uh, literally just... Uh, Borrowing the keys to a student flat for a few weeks uh, from somebody I'd never met, and uh, the first thing I remember doing was going to the video shop and see if we could um, see if we could find something that on DVD as you, back, you did back in the day uh, that would sort of tell us more about the town uh, or you know a proper German film. Uh, since the idea was we were there to sort of improve our German as well, and the first film I came across was called uh, Berlin Calling. Uh, And it featured in the lead role a DJ called Paul Kalkbrenner, uh, who was an actual DJ, and it was a kind of faction sort of thing. He played a sort of fictionalised version of himself, having a breakdown uh, across the season, sort of touring Europe as a a DJ. Uh, And the soundtrack was just blistering. But this is the one that just tells, just says Berlin to me so much. Uh, And it's called Altus Kamuffel. So this first bit, it's just the sound that you'd think of when you walk back for whatever reason through the Berlin Dawn with that kind of pale blue light over the skyscrapers and Born, Uh And then the, he's an East German, so there's a kind of wistful sort of elegance about it that I think is quite sort of uh, East German as well. There's a nice little descending riff in a minute as well. So this just sort of um, really speaks of my time in Berlin. Like it's just it conjures the city for me at that time. It was very now, and it's a genre called uh, minimal techno, which I think it does what it says on the tin. Uh, but there's something really atmospheric about it because it's not all about massive drops. So when you do get a little a little payoff, it's uh, it's short-lived but it just feeds little things in that are really like subtle and beautiful here we go is this little descending thing
0: we go that's so much better than a big david david guesser drop isn't it
4: i think so because there's just this like it's just beautiful there's a sort of fractured glass thing with the little keyboard the little uh sort of descending arpeggio riff thing earlier on and then you do get a nice slamming bassline, but it never uh it never so he you know he's got that chord sequence there but he doesn't overplay it just get two but two sort of rounds of that and then it's back into the, the sort of The groove just just keeping it trucking along, but just I can imagine being on the S barn, just watching the landscape fly by and the allotments, and then you're getting further into town and you're starting to see the big sort of uh, east end kind of uh, uh, blocks of flats and everything. So that cream beige color, and occasional bit of graffiti on the buildings, and then suddenly you're starting to see landmarks you might. Catch a glimpse of the fancy glistening, with it's little crucifix reflection in the in the glass, and it's just oh fuck yeah, I'm home. Nice.
3: Makes me think yeah. of uh, heading to heading to the airport at 5 a.m. and walking past a club, and you know that people have been inside there for about 48 mm. hours, and you hear that because they need <laughs> yeah. a little bit of light relief because it's so early.
4: Yeah. Yeah, that's it can't keep it motion all the time
0: so paul well, the, the film is hulk brenner
4: yeah and he's an east is, he's an east german as well so he would have grown up he's about our age maybe yeah he's exactly our age uh so he would have grown up sort of knowing what it was like to be in the east i think he felt quite sort of um liberated by being able to get his hands on electronic equipment and uh, sort of that's what he prides himself on is getting all the latest sort of tech so he's ahead of the game it's much like Depeche Mode actually that's uh, something Martin Gore said was we're only as good as uh, the technology we're able to get hold of so what keeps us ahead of other bands is is having access to the latest gadgets so that's that's his thing too but I think he's just very restrained and refined in the way that he deploys them
0: The films great too by the way Berlin Calling highly recommend it So, given it's going on for another few minutes, I think we'll let the listeners go and explore for themselves. Um, Maybe time to explore our next choice, Mr. Charles Layton.
3: Right, now we're talking about the Ramones, I believe. So, the Ramones and Berlin, it makes me think of Jim. It makes me think of 2010, you were living here. I was coming out to play the Berlin Mm. Festival. And we ended up at the yeah. Ramones Museum. Yes. <laughs> it was just uh, opening that night. Yeah, well, they were, yeah, it was the, I think they were opening up the t shirt shop. He was um uh. having a little spin off section. So, uh, yeah, just kind of sitting outside there and drinking. Now, that whole thing, um, the Ramones and their connection to Berlin, what is it? Well, DD Ramone was born uh, in Berlin and grew up here before. Uh, i guess the family kind of emigrated to the to the us uh, and, so he's and, a
4: military child or and,
3: yeah i guess so i would assume so if they were if they were here then oh. um and uh, he wrote this track about berlin um yeah the museum itself on a complete side note though is just because basically this this music critic and and writer uh is a massive fan of the band um and so the story goes his partner his girlfriend told him that you know he had to do something about this stuff so it's like fine i'll set up a, a museum and it's been running for like 15 years and if you're ever over here again it's well worth a, a visit and they host loads of bands as well doing kind of stripped back acoustic shows uh and it's now moved from where we were jim when it was in mitta it's in clotsburg yeah. again now but uh yeah the band makes uh, more sense
4: the pump part of town
3: totally totally does does not it yeah uh, this is off their their last record Uh, Remains before they kind of disbanded in the mid 90s and I think even Didi had left by then Um, but it's called Born to Die in Berlin
0: Nelson Ramones, born to die in Berlin. Um,
3: (laughs) Not one of the the classics, is it?
0: uh, They're a band of great spirit, I think, but not necessarily 100% classic quality control.
4: I had to check something, uh, because I distinctly heard him say Tom Petty's lips taste the last drops of life. (laughs) I was like, what have you got against Tom Petty? Poor guy. (laughs) It's torn, painted lips. (laughs)
0: great line yeah i mean uh, it's it's kind of up there with punctured bicycle on a hilltop desolate the opening line which is (laughs) intoxicated by the orchids abandoned in the garden demanding morphine curse my soul is burning
4: that's pretty good stuff if it if it had a bit more i don't
0: know chutzpah about the music maybe (laughs) a nice johnny lick to go along with that um (laughs) (laughs) yeah. And maybe being, <laughs> <you> know, <laughs> sprinkle cocaine on your window. Intoxicated by the orchids. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's a good choice, sticks, because I think um it speaks to the the point about people being inspired by Berlin as this as this place, this honeypot for artists and creation of new sound. Even if if that wasn't wasn't really a good exposition of that.
3: <laughs> Even
2: if the
0: inter- we haven't let Charlie really say anything, anything about, about it, though. It,
3: though. No, I'm, or
4: yeah. the Ramones in general.
3: He said he's never heard it.
4: No, no. <laughs> Fair
1: enough. It seems like Berlin is also somewhere that people go to take humongous amounts of heroin. Um, <laughs> really? Which is obviously, yeah. Uh, musicians, anyway. Um, not no members of this band, I hope, but uh, so, some of many of the people we've been listening to, uh, and certainly this next one. So that. Yeah, I mean Nick Cave.
4: Uh, I thought I thought that's where Bowie and uh, and Iggy Pop went to get clean.
1: Well, yes, that's a good point. They did, but I'm not sure they got clean straight away.
4: <laughs> no, they didn't.
1: And yeah, you're right. But um, maybe I'm just the the association with heroin and and escaping heroin or taking more heroin and the Ramones singing about it. And in the case of this Nick Cave album, apparently he was at the absolute heights of a terrible heroin addiction when he recorded this album. Now, I'll be very honest with you. I don't know. um, The first time I heard this song was today. So I'm slightly ahead of sticks. Like, I have heard the song, but only a few hours ago. So, (laughs) but um, Nick Cave and the Bad Seas is one of those... Uh, bands um, that I've always been meaning to discover more but I haven't got much further than Tender "Pray," and Let Love In, a couple of those probably most famous albums although this one is also very famous but I had, just hadn't got to this album because I got fucking loads of albums um, and this was the one he recorded in Berlin when he was really on heroin and so yeah I just listened to a few of the songs that I'd heard were significant or good there's more famous ones than this, like um, the Carney, the, the opening, I don't know, it's the second track, I think, but I liked this one. Um, my, my two listens to it today, uh, partly because again, it's got those resonances of Kurt Weil and that whole tradition. Also some very um, striking lyrics and it's just a very arresting song. So I thought maybe we'd play this one. Let's hear
0: it. It's called She Fell Away. I don't like this kind of search, searching, urgent, driving little verse pattern.
1: You can't fail to sort of notice the song, you know, it's not. It's not lift music <laughs> something's going on with this guy <laughs> at this time and it's
4: uh if it is the lift is going down, <laughs> it's gone
1: down. so yeah i don't know much about it. i mean this flood is in the room again so we have the the same what? some of the same engineering team yeah
4: wow um it's i've noticed the sort of um the staccato piano riff that was very reminiscent of for the one on things like beauty and the beast by bowie and um uh and um and all, and all the ones on sort of low and heroes as, as well it's sort of got a bit of the kind of show me the way to the next whiskey bar maybe a bit of mm. weimar mm. cabaret about it yeah uh
1: so there's the curveball thing there's also a bit of uh tom wait's thing going on on this album yeah. generally as
2: well so I got, some, I, got involved in
4: the a, I got involved in the discussion online by an a, Agent provocateur, who said that uh, he w- he wanted to discuss whether uh, whether those two, uh, Nick Cave uh, and Tom Waits were actually dicks. Uh, <laughs> I can't countenance Tom Waits. I, I can't. I can't have that. I know he's pretentious, but I love him. But um, I think there might be something of the dick about Nick Cave sometimes. But then he's done. You know the. You know, the, um... Comes around and strange up with a red, right hand, which is
1: pretty funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's really good. Uh, that's about as much as I know about him. Yeah, I can't claim to be a great, big fan. I'm trying to, you know, every now and then educate myself a bit, but... Yeah, I don't know, really. I mean, could be a dick. Mm. a <laughs>
2: dick. <laughs> I it's, think so- it's sonically,
1: Nick Cave a dick. That's our our poll for today. Get on Twitter. Tell us what you think. <laughs>
0: uh, we'll answer in Berlin Part Two. Until then, stay tuned. There's something sonic about this that that is in the same tradition of Iggy Pop, David Bowie um, in Berlin at least. Um, mm. Maybe Depeche Mode. Um, not so much. Yeah, because the there's,
4: there's all the there's the. Um... You know, that kind of strange wash of freaky guitar, the chaotic guitar in the background. That's been on a few of the songs we've chosen. Yeah. You know, the the wailing kind of freakiness in the background. That's definitely got the the kind of uh, industrial Einst und mm. kind of thing going on.
1: I love the boldness as well of making the like xylophone like four
0: times louder than any
1: other instrument,
4: mm. sort of, you know. Yeah, some good decisions.
0: So my next choice is unfortunately taking a little bit of a departure away from the Berlin Sonic experience that we've um, started to carve out in this episode. It's more on a personal memory basis. So if my relationship with Berlin is a play in three acts and the first act was going there to chip away at the Berlin Wall in in January 1990. The second, I think, was um, spending a bit of time there in, I think, 2004. Um, So... Uh, you guys know that I spent a bit of time trying to be an actor and I got a part in this movie called Eon Flux. Uh, and the it, the part in Eon Flux demanded half a day's work. Uh, and it so happened that Charlize Theron, who was the actress in the movie, was like sprained a muscle or something, which meant that because she was in every scene, they had to reorganise the whole shoot. Um, and on a day-by-day basis, they would see if she was able to do anything or where, where the scenes could be. And so everyone basically who was in the movie had to be on site and you would be told first first thing in the morning uh, if you're going to be used that day. And so I think for lockdown. about two or three, yeah, it was like lockdown, except you were given 60 euros a day in cash, um, which, which believe me, at that time <laughs> <laughs> um, was, yeah, 60 euros. Um, I, I bought, I, I spent after, what, six times, how do you get to 300 euros? Do you have to wait five days yeah uh five days had had 300 euros i walked to a, a guitar shop in east berlin and bought that black guitar that um you, you may remember me playing on um and so after five days i then had a guitar in my hotel room um and oh. Uh, I was staying in a place called the Madison, which doesn't exist anymore, but it was on Potsdamer Platz. So in between going to the Dunkin' Donuts across the road to go and email about whether we should be called Zoo Boutique or not, and then saving up my €60 Euro, um, per diems to go and buy a guitar, I was trying to... Um... There was a new found sense of hope about our band because we'd kind of washed through the shit of the Kling and we were we were going onto a new, very hopeful trajectory as... Uh, Zoo Boutique or Horse Talk or um, <laughs> uh, any any one of a number of names. Um, Milk and, Club. Um, but but by by even time, I would go to the hotel bar and uh, in one corner there'd be Johnny Lee Miller having a glass of red wine. Um, and then... Uh, but I, I naturally kind of like um, made friends with these two guys who were special effects artists on the movie. And they were the people who'd done um very famously that thing in the round on The Matrix, you know, where um Keanu Reeves does a kick or whatever and the whole the, the, the oh, gosh. Never heard camera pans it, yeah. in around in three sixty and it was much copied special, but anyway, it was quite a revolutionary thing and these two guys had pioneered it and they were working on Ion Flux and they were geeky guys. But they they wanted to talk about music quite a lot and REM had just released this um album Around the Sun. But the, the, the track off Around the Sun that I really liked was Leaving New York. And I played it many, many, many times, walking around Berlin in my hotel room in Berlin. It's got nothing to do with Berlin, but it reminds me of being there. <laughs>
2: calling back a brilliant night. I'm still awake. I looked ahead, I'm sure. So it's quite a
0: sentimental, drippy song, and I'm, I'm sure I like it more than you guys. I, I want to come and bring it back in at the end where it's got this nice round of BVs. Um,
4: they always um, do that well.
0: Yeah, and who's the, who's the bassist backing vocalist? Who's... You really,
4: really remind me of Mike Mills.
0: <laughs> you, ch- <laughs> Jim, really, really. Really? really.
2: <laughs> Tell us that story then.
1: Not really a story, is it? um who is it that reminded
2: you? Her
1: name was Rebecca Flounders. Um, she was a woman I once knew, and uh, she was she came to see our band a lot, and she was convinced that Jim was really Mike Mills.
0: <laughs> but he is one of these people who's renowned as a backing vocalist. He's not a great singer. I think you're a much better singer than him, but he does have a way with the our oh.
2: Mike Mills
4: yeah it was the. There was. is it him or the drummer the drummer I think was a good a good locust as well he does all the kind of high, part, high parts on like um, Near Wild Heaven and stuff but he left eventually
0: so I'm not sure if we get a final chorus or not
1: uh... you definitely don't look anything like Mike Mills
4: yeah yeah I'm not really feeling
1: that <laughs> although the there is another Mike Mills who looks more like you, who's nothing to do with the very end.
4: Maybe that was the the Mike Mills that she meant.
0: Here we go. I
2: told you. So oh,
0: my sappy little choice but i remember I, I wish i could remember the two guys names who are the special effects artists but i went to a karaoke a korean karaoke bar with them and um i oh. remember singing elton john um sorry it seems it's to not be the last word and I, that's when i knew elton was in my exact register of singing because I, a bit like you doing <coughs> jarvis cocker in karaoke i fucking nailed it and um yeah the was it monster of- <laughs> i wish they were there was it was
4: monster ronson's ichiban karaoke that's a legendary night spot
0: i don't think it was legendary i think it was more back, back street there there was oh. at one point in the evening a group of korean businessmen who came in fully suited and they'd booked a private room and they all walked in quite respectfully and it was one of those private rooms that had a hole of glass in the door. So when you walked past mm. to go to the loo, I looked in and all of them like had their shirts off and tied around their heads and their ties like waving <laughs> in the air, just going mental. And then about an hour later, they all walked out fully dressed, very kind of like composed and walked out. <laughs> oh, <laughs> nicely done. Let off a bit of steam. <laughs> That's all so good. Another one tiny anecdote from that time, though, is um, Tom and our other friend Simon Rubenstein, who gets referenced quite a lot on this pod from time to time, uh, wrote a song called Pamela's Fit, which was a staple of university and, and school time years, which maybe deserves an airing sometime.
1: I don't think it does, but why are you mentioning it <laughs> to, to do with Berlin?
0: <laughs> because that black guitar that I um, bought, I was, I was practising quite a lot of songs on. And then one of those evenings when I went down to the hotel bar, mm. um, I was sitting with, with my new good friends, the special effects producer, and then Charlize Theron turns up. and. Oh, shame. and and with her little entourage and they were like hey charlie play a song and i decided to play pamela's (laughs) fix to charlie theron um and i think and i think i fucked it up as well how
1: come you you told me that (laughs) because i
4: was really embarrassed yeah no but Um, you said it went down it went down pretty well
0: yeah, I mean I think it's only gonna be good listening when and if we ever reveal the lyrics to um Pamela's fit, but um I just don't know if it's possible in this day and age to no, reveal I don't know how song. it will
1: go down in a man. I think if you if you were too shy to tell me mm-hmm. too embarrassed, maybe we should leave it there. But that's a great story. How did Charlie's respond to your performance?
0: Um, well let's just say she went somewhere else that night with different people. Um <laughs> <laughs> <That's okay. laughs> Um, so that concludes the kind of first half of our Berlin discussion. We're going to play one of number of songs, and we've been quite restrained in talking about Berlin in relation to our own music because we we recorded a whole album called Laughter in the Dark, with, which ostensibly borrows Berlin as an overarching theme, and the cover from you too. Indeed. What?
1: Well, it's in, uh, the cover was The by the Achtung Baby. The
0: Collage Achtung
4: yeah, Baby. Yeah, yeah 100%. Um, oh, no, the, the album cover, not the cover song.
0: Yeah.
1: I think there's probably at least three songs that deliberately reference Berlin on the album. Is that right? Explicitly.
0: Yeah, there's, there's a couple that didn't make it. So, so While We're Still Alive, which we have played, has got the line um, going on the first night train to Berlin. Last which, night oh, train. Yeah. The last, sorry, the f- last night train. <laughs> when does the last night train leave and the first morning I train stop? I don't know. I
1: don't know. <laughs> uh, or maybe it's the last night train, you know, the last night train before night trains to Berlin stop running ever.
4: Yes, exactly, because they've all stopped
0: now. Which is yeah. tragic cause There's it's this a song starts with which was was written about Tom's fact checking attitude towards things I say. Um, what?
2: <laughs> what?
0: Getting correcting my lyrics, correcting my R.E.M. album titles. <laughs> I'm Sorry, just, you know, I'm just getting that's my job. Know, yeah.
4: It's better now. It's better now than later on. You know, after exactly. broadcast, yeah, be getting furious letters from a man. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so there's also House of a Thousand Eyes.
0: Yeah, we've discussed that, yeah. We did that in the Bowie episode? Did we? Okay, we did. Yeah, there's Ishtar Gate. Yes, yeah, which, mm, which, which is on display,
4: on display in the, in the Pokemon, Pokemon Museum yeah. in Berlin.
1: Absolutely, it's very much a Berlin museum inspiration, even if the gate was not <laughs> German, really. And there's Stasiland
0: Yeah, and Potsdamer Platz. Uh, which uh, is some maybe something for another time. But Stars in the End, as you rightly say, is the one we're going to play tonight. Shall we listen to it and then talk about it afterwards?
2: Yeah. <laughs>
0: used to it, not going straight into Out of This World.
4: Yeah, so that little uh, trill of cymbals you heard was leading into the next song on the album directly, but, uh, which was a little uh, production idea we had. I don't know what was that was inspired by. It's maybe by the Eno sort of soundscapes on the back of uh, Low and stuff, where they kind of meld into one another.
0: Things that I really love, the the pounding drums in the the <laughs> drums as well as your um, Everlong guitars
3: that was it, I knew there was something
1: I only realised when we listened to Everlong on the podcast the song, which I, I know the song well but it only occurred to me when we listened to it on this I was like, oh, I was, that's what I was doing
2: <laughs> mm.
1: I think sonically um, having done this episode, sonically um, Potsdamer Platz is much more in keeping with the Berlin sound lineage isn't it, but maybe we'll play that another time um, but lyrically, that one is obviously very much Berlin.
4: Yeah, they're, they're a pair. Also, House of a Thousand Eyes. I mean, it's all yeah. to do with the GDR and the Stasi. and
1: That's Berlin. So we haven't talked about Anna Funda's book yet. Oh, sorry. Well, we did kind D- of reference it. In... Did
4: anyone, uh, did anyone uh, enjoy the double harmonic in the dropout in the second verse on the bass there? That
0: was quite nice, wasn't it?
1: Yes. And I was going to say, while we're picking up your bass, that one of my favourite bits in that song is your slide up the fretboard, just in the first verse. I t- you, do you know the bit I mean? Oh, I love yeah, it. Yeah, I think so maybe. Play you just do a little, and it's great.
4: A little grunter. <laughs> but note that I can only play the bass line at like half the pace of your guitar. Oh
1: God, it was exhausting as well. We've got another version of that song too, which I'd like to hear, the Jack, Jack one.
4: Mm. Yeah, I think the Cat-free. Jack one was a bit more live yeah. but less sort of filled
1: out and kind of uh, symphonic. I just remember at the time wanting to get from Jack stems uh, of just all the vocals, lead vocals and all the backing vocals which were layered and layered and layered because they're there and they're there in that version as well but they obviously get buried in a whole load of noise and music. Yeah. And we put a lot of work into all those BBs mm. and obviously the lead vocals, like all together it's like a kind of orchestra of vocals.
0: Yeah, there's um, Amen. there's I think even going back to your original demo, there's that lovely I, like there's a lovely ambiguity about what that that second vocal line is doing. I think it's kind of um, w- w- what's the line actually? Because it, a normal a, a normal listener probably wouldn't understand. I, it's part of uh, what is it?
1: Yeah, there's something that goes. There's a bit that goes. You'll never it's find a touch. Yeah, you'll never drop, drop on, on, our hand hands. on our hands. It's your souls we, we want, want to crush. It's all, it's all part of the plan. And then oh, it goes, yeah. I thought I would told you, we already told you. I thought I told you, we already told you. But yeah, you would never really know that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, anyway.
0: You were referencing Anna, Anna Fundus' book. It was a great book. I don't know how we
2: first came oh, yeah.
1: I, I think Fabian maybe gave it to me or something or recommended it to me. And I'd pass it on to you, or maybe it's the other way around, or we came across it independently, I don't know. Mm.
2: Um,
1: but we definitely were all reading it at some point. Mm.
0: I was reading it at the offices of the Howard de Walden estate in Marylebone, where I was temping. Um, oh, really? And uh, that's when I started, I think, pulling out different lyrics for either this song or House of a Thousand Eyes, which I'd pass on to you. Um, but yes, it's it's definitely all the themes are from from that book, the, the lyrics of this song. A great book. Sticks doesn't stand the test of time.
3: Does for me, yeah. Um, it's um, it's nice to hear all these these tracks again. Say so I know I kind of said the same thing every week, but yeah, it's, uh, still missing it. I still haven't gotten back behind the kit. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Well, it's late in it's late in Berlin now, and we've got another episode to do uh, very soon. So why don't you save your strength, mate? You get behind a <laughs> kit soon. Have a nice little sleep and a milky, and uh, we'll do this again sometime soon. And a TV. dunking
1: in the morning.
0: <laughs> um, what's how do, how do you say good night, good night, good people in in a Berlin? language
4: a Berlin accent oh Berlin oh, Berlin sang, oh. Mm-hmm. uh I don't Nacht because they wouldn't they wouldn't say good would they Stimmt, I don't yeah. I, that's probably <laughs> completely wrong but <laughs> I remember you that is you